0: Hello oh, and welcome to Voyager, A Theological Journey. I'm Captain Rainway and this is my Unruly Crew.
1: I'm Will Nicholas. And I'm Lindsay Cullen. The meta narrative is that they're going as fast and as hard as they can, you know, back towards Federation space.
0: No, they're not. They're poking their nose into everything. And that really annoys me, I have to say
2: see and hear all of our quirks and foibles as we work together as a team. Greetings friends, Uh, this is the Voyager, a Theological Journey podcast, and we are excited to welcome you back again for this next episode, which is called Alliances.
1: Yes, we're looking at Season 2, Episode 14, Finding Themselves the Underdog of the Delta Quadrant. Voyager attempts to form an alliance with select Kazon sects. Janeway also approaches the Trabe, a race once made up of tyrants who oppressed the Kazon, but now are scattered and vulnerable. When the groups gather for talks, Janeway comes to suspect that the Trabe may not be as authentic or as frail as they claim.
0: Well, I found this a most interesting episode in terms of explaining why the Kazon act like Mad Max on steroids. Um, and I thought that was good, knowing their background and how they had been oppressed. And it reminded me a lot of the Holocaust um, and and pre-World War Two Nazi Germany, where um, the Jews were herded into ghettos and forced to work and um, treated as substandard citizens. So... From my point of view, that was one of the most interesting things I found about this episode, though my cordial dislike of Seska and the Kazon does continue.
1: Yeah, I, um, I know we've been talking about our uh, dislike of Sesca and the Kazon, one that I share with you, Elizabeth, but I did find myself as this episode was continuing thinking, I'm loving this episode. There is just so much richness in terms of uh, ethics, morality, uh, philosophical frameworks. It, it was a really stimulating episode, I think, in terms of the ideas that we love to talk about.
2: Plus, it begins with intergalactic firefights and uh, explosions and, uh, and, and the shields going down and the warp core coming offline, like all of those wonderful things we love in our sci-fi where the ships are going across each other. I'm always worried, though, when I see explosions in space. Uh, I'm just thinking there's nothing to burn, really. Um, so there really can't be those big fiery balls out there when, when they get blown up.
0: You're such a scientific killjoy, Will.
2: <laughs> Not only it's, that with no atmosphere, pew pew just doesn't happen either because in <laughs> space no one can hear you scream.
1: <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. It, it it was an interesting episode I thought in that um it it really did uh like there was no clear good guy bad guy stuff all the way through. You you, you found yourself thinking well, yes, but no matter who was talking, there was always this sense of I think you're only seeing one side of, of a complex situation, um, and, and I really loved that.
0: Oh, I, I don't know. I think I can keep disliking colour with his patriarchal stance and tell that woman to be quiet stuff. If he listened more to Seska, he'd probably do a lot better, I'm thinking.
1: Well, he probably would, but I have to say I was, I was quite struck uh elizabeth by the fact that you know after really wrestling with this whole question of you know will i make an alliance won't i will i compromise federations Ideals, or won't I? That that Janeway, in the end, it's sexism which is the bridge too far for her. And I, I kind of wondered about that. You know, it it just seemed a little bit personal that that you know because it was something that impacted her. She wasn't willing to make a compromise when uh, where it was the the big principles of the Federation. She had become uh, you know a, a, agreed that maybe they needed to bend.
0: I don't know. I felt that. It's hard for blokes to understand, and I'm going to speak for Jane Wayne, a lot of women here, what it's like when you are constantly put on the second tier or the back shelf and you're talked over and your ideas are nicked and there's the gender imbalance in meetings and in the halls of power and in boards of businesses. You know, I think that there is a straw on the camel's back. Uh, when she says, he says to Tuvok... I won't have a woman... Dictate terms to me.
3: Kala, I found the idea of an alliance with you distasteful. I was willing to explore the possibility, but now I see my instincts were dead on. Talk to her. Tell her to be reasonable. This meeting is over.
0: That was a step too far, so I would be taking that extremely personally as well if I was Janeway. Absolutely.
2: It did. Uh, there was that moment there where Tuvok sitting there after he says it to him, and he, he's kind of going, oh, "I'm not sure what to do now." Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to tell the captain to be quiet.
0: <laughs> no, keep your mouth shut, dude. There's already enough patriarchy and testosterone going on in the room.
2: Although I, I actually think he's worse than that because I think he actually asks Tuvok to to talk some sense into her. To, to, yeah, he, he does. That's he my point. He doesn't just tell her to, to silence or to to shut her up. He actually he actually um. Uh, he he asks Tuvok if he can mansplain the situation to to the captain uh, on his behalf, um, which is just like a complete misunderstanding of the of the culture and the way that the Voyager operates. It just shows Cola colors complete ignorance not only to gender and sexism, but also to 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 understanding how his how his adversary works here I mean, when he's trying to negotiate.
1: And, and, I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to discount the experience of, of women and I certainly understand, Elizabeth, your response to this, but I, I guess... If we are to put ourselves into the 23rd century, one would assume that in fact in the Federation, uh, you know Jane Way has not had to combat sexism for uh, you know all of her years and, and, and that in fact this would be something quite new. And so it, it kind of it, it's one of those uh, cases where our current setting bleeds into our interpretation of the, the future setting.
0: I want to challenge you on that, Lindsay, because that may be true within the Federation. But remember, in, as much as I know about Star Trek, which isn't a lot really, but they're encountering these different cultures and species everywhere who have different ways of viewing this and have matriarchies or patriarchies. So she may not have come up against this sexism in the Federation, but I'll lay long odds she must have encountered it in intergalactic travel and with other species who have cultures that are quite different and are male dominated. Fair enough. So there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I just I, I still am blown away by colors apparent ignorance of of the fact that if the if the ship is he seems to think that that Janeway's position is is token only that that she's I guess allowed to bear the honorific of Captain, but the men still run the ship. Um, Probably. And, and he, he, he's completely missed the point here. I mean, he, he, he has no idea.
0: Well, I think Carla has no idea about a lot of things, so I don't know why this one would be any different. I mean, he's got a certain belligerence about him that always seems to get in the way of him making sensible decisions. In the episodes we've seen him, most of his sensible decisions are Seska's.
2: Yes.
1: Yes, I mean there's that scene where Seska is sort of, you know, tempting him him to go to the um the gathering, the treaty gathering or whatever and and you know she's saying and you can be the hero and and you just see his eyes glaze over and you think oh this guy is so stupid. Yep.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And his testosterone is always going to get the better of him. You just know that's going to happen. I don't mean sexually but I mean in terms of glory and triumphalism and, you know, being the grand marge or whatever he thinks he's going to be. It's that sort of, you know, I can be the top belligerent bloke. He's always going to be his driving factor.
2: Now, I did wonder, and I might be completely out of line here, but I I, I do like to throw these things in so that that, um, Elizabeth can... um I'll pull us back into line if we need to <laughs> um, but I, I I did wonder whether there were parallels here in the Old Testament um story of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel um there's this sense in which the the king is a bit of a buffoon who actually has no idea what decisions are right decisions but it, but his wife is actually the real power behind the throne um and is trying to to lead um using using the man's power and and there is this kind of um, I guess uh, warped feminism that actually says that um, if I can if I can control um, the men, then I can actually see my aims, my my hopes, my dreams come true by actually uh, puppeting the power.
0: Uh, I think Jezebel's problem is in in the way she's written up is she's foreign and she brings her foreign god with her. So you know that nothing good is going to come of this and nothing good is going to be ever said about her. And whether she was a good queen or a bad queen, we will never know because of the bias that this particular story would have been written up with. Certainly, I'm not sure that she's seeking to actually be queen of Israel or the universe. Certainly, she will use her power indiscriminately if that's what it takes to get something that they want um, and she's got in the royal um, as queen she can do that and she can manipulate the king to do that it seems to me that's more her objective is don't get in my way rather than I want to control the kingdom
2: yeah and I felt that that in a lot of ways being a foreigner like um, like Jezebel seska is in a very similar kind of situation. Um, and and I, I'm beginning to wonder uh, from, a, a I guess, a loose writing perspective, what Seska's intentions are now. She seems to be less interested in going home. Um, and there are some reasons for that. I mean, she she was a Bajoran who is now revealed to be a Cardassian. She's going to struggle. She's no longer going to be acceptable on Bajor. Um, she may or may not actually find a, a, a welcome reception on Cardassia. Um, has Seska decided to actually just build and make power here uh, in the Delta Quadrant?
1: Yeah, interesting question. I mean, she's also not going to have a, a warm reception from the Maquis, who were her most recent uh, tribe. So, uh, yeah, I think she she's burned a lot of bridges and um, maybe you're right, maybe she just wants to, um, you know, create her, her own place in the Delta Quadrant.
0: Well, I think Seska is very pragmatic Um, and I think that she's probably thinking from stuff she said in previous episodes that there may not be a home coming as such, that they may never find their way back in the, you know, they're going to be old and very grey or have to have bred another generation if they're going to not find a wormhole or some other way of transporting them. So I think being pragmatic, she's just decided, well, I'll carve this out for myself and make the best of what I can. And I think that that's what she's doing. And I don't know a lot about Cardassians, but they seem to be that kind of people. They'll just say, right, this is the reality where it is and I'm gonna make it happen.
1: So just to turn uh, for a moment to another uh, person who is sort of trying to work out what to do in the future, this is a really interesting episode in watching Janeway's uh, progression, isn't it, you know, from a a very hard line sort of uh, stance at, at, at the start of the episode to actually being persuaded by her chief in Chakotay and, and Tuvot that, that perhaps uh, they do need to try a different approach and then at the end, you know, giving her preachy little sermon about, see, I was right all along and, and we've got to, you know, be hardline in sticking to our principles.
3: There's just one more thing I want to say. I hope there's a lesson for all of us in this. Although some of the species we've encountered here have been peaceful, others seem governed only by their own self-interests. This appears to be a region of space that doesn't have many rules. But I believe we can learn something from the events that have unfolded. In a part of space where there are a few rules, it's more important than ever that we hold fast to our own. In a region where shifting allegiances are commonplace, we have to have something stable to rely on. And we do. The principles and ideals of the Federation.
0: As far as I'm concerned,
3: Those are the best allies we could have.
0: That made me vomit, that little sermon. It really did. (laughs) I thought that was just a piece of jingoistic sort of patriotism garbage. And I thought, I expected better of you, Captain Janeway, than to sort of trot out that, this... I mean, she should have raved the American flag while she was at it.
2: what <laughs> what else does she have? I mean, she's far from home. She doesn't have any other structure. She's now the president of her own United States. I mean, she has to work out um, how to keep the crew together. And, and I think that's one of the things that really does strike at the heart of this episode is that um, when it's talking about alliances, it's another double-meaning title because, yes, it's about the alliances of the Kazon, but it's also about... How this community on Voyager holds together. That that confrontation that she has um, with uh, Crewman Hogan in the mess hall um, is a, is a real testing point for Janeway, um, as she she finds that not even Chakotay is actually supporting her current decisions, um, and that she she has a potential mutiny on her hands.
0: I didn't quite get that because you've got um, apparent opposition to Janeway trying to negotiate with the Kazon. But then Hogan's found talking to Torres about trying to get an alliance with Seska. I mean, an alliance with Seska is an alliance with the Kazon, dude. Get your facts right. You can't make an alliance with Seska and not with the Kazon. So why is he criticizing Janeway for trying to have negotiations with the Kazon? I didn't understand that.
1: Well, I, I didn't think he was. I thought he, it was actually the reverse that he was criticizing Janeway because of her, um, her yeah, inability, not just to make a, a, an alliance, but in fact, uh, his suggestion is give them what they want, give them technology and, you know, mm. appease them and let's get on our way.
2: Yes. I uh, I loved uh, Harry Kim's uh, position in the briefing room where he says, well, while we're at it, why don't we just make an alliance with Seska? And then the whole room goes, oh, yes, yes, that's a good idea. And he's going, yeah. that's, that's not what no, I meant. No. I,
0: I was
1: being sarcastic, people.
0: Yes, that's right. I thought Harry Kim's eyebrows got a very good workout in that scene.
1: And it was interesting, you know, just – Thinking about what what it means to be open to new ideas, and you know the whole process of Janeway, you know, working through that, I found uh, quite quite fascinating. And and she she does listen to her counsellors, and and although she uh, initially you know seems quite set in not. Changing, she she does listen, and she does come to a point of saying, actually, maybe I do need to, and I I like that. I like that openness to be persuaded by uh, other people. Whether in the end, uh, you know, uh, it was a, a right course to take. Um, I, I I value the quality of of openness to being uh, thinking through things, and I think it raises that whole issue of. How do you hang on to principles in different contexts? Um, you know, and I think um, they're quite right to bring up the fact that uh, we are not in the Federation or in space where the Federation has any pull. So, do we need to rethink Federation principles for a new context?
0: I would probably say that we did, and I likened it to the church thinking about that because the church is having to rethink a lot of its core values or the way it's operated at least and I think if you're not willing to at least entertain the idea there could be a better way then you're always going to be stuck and you're never ever going to challenge or stretch yourself or grow or you know find yourself in uncomfortable situations that mean that you develop different skill sets and different ways of, you know, working in the environment around you. And I think that context is really important and it's a salient lesson, I suppose, to understand your context and how you work within it.
2: It's a lot easier too to actually um, stick to principles and to hold to ethics when you have power, when, when things... Yes. Uh, and I and I think for me that's what the trade really opens up in this episode for me is that um, we're kind of guided to... to 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 trust them. We see them as a as a as a, an afflicted group of people in a vulnerable position. Um and and they make use of the situation to to take out their biggest threat, which is actually not just one Kazon, but 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 all the Kazon. And and whilst I I'm not advocating that, you know, flying a starship outside the office window and blowing everybody up is actually the best option, I can understand how they came to the point where they said, We need to compromise our, our, our ethics here in order to achieve a greater good, which is actually to be free of of the Kazon who who are treating them I mean, sure, in the past the trabe have treated the Kazon badly, but but there seems to be an escalation and a never ending escalation of poor treatment. And so I kind of understand why the trabe have actually stepped up um to this and said Let's let's use the opportunity to actually um, um, take out the case on once and for all.
1: I'm afraid I'm going to call you out on that one, Will. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that that when I, I listened, and maybe it's my subconscious remembering how the episode uh, ends, which I certainly didn't consciously as I was going through it, but. Uh, I mean, I never trusted the tribe, and and I think it was the description, you know, where they're sitting at the table, and I thought, oh, Chakota, you've really blown it. Where Chakota says, oh, "It happened thirty years ago, and the Kazon is still trying to punish you," and and the tribe responds, "Remarkable, isn't it? Most of the tribe who persecuted the Kazon are dead or old men by now. Most of us were children." And I thought, this is exactly the the white defense of colonialism. Colonialism. You know, it wasn't me that enslaved people, it was my ancestors. I wasn't even born. I'm innocent. It happened a long time ago. Can't we just forget the past and, and let bygones be bygones? It's 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 really distasteful, I have to say.
0: I agree with Lindsay. And I found myself not trusting the trave. I didn't think the trave showed any remorse really that looked remotely sincere to me about how they treated the Kazon. If you suppress and getter wise and enslave the people and punish them with brute force for a long, long time, you can expect them to have a pretty large chip on their shoulder when the tables are turned, and we see that play out in modern politics in the Middle East, for example. Um, And I think that both of them are showing The results of who they are. I think that the trade is still carrying a lot of hubris from the past about who they were. I think given half a chance, they'd put the Kazon right back in those ghettos and enslave them. And the Kazon have developed this warlike defence to this ever happening again to it. And one of the things that startled me is nobody ever says really, so that's why the Kazon act the way they do. So that is why they have bred themselves to be this warlike patriarchal race because they've probably taken some oath, no one is ever going to do this to them again. And I found I had a lot more sympathy with the Kazon, who I've disliked rather a lot. You know, learning of this background, this punitive background that they've come from, they wonder the way they, they are the way they are. Sympathy for
2: the Kazon? I'm sorry. I can't I believe have... I'm hearing this. I can't it's believe true. that after all that we've been through, that we've struggled and wrestled with them and that we, we detest and hate them, certainly don't they deserve to be put in their place? And, and I mean, I just I just think, you know, like it's it's... It's time, I think, actually, to to uh, I I you know I think I think J may missed an opportunity here. They could have got rid of them once and for all. Mark my words, this is not the last we hear of the Kazon. I'm sure it's not. They'll There, be there, back. there are serious consequences for this, and and I I I'm, I fear for the future of uh, of Voyager whilst ever the Kazon can it continue. I think that the utilitarian approach here is to actually get rid of this enemy once and for all, and 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 the Trabe. The were up for this, you know. That I could, I can see that for their very survival, they were actually looking to uh, to wipe these people out.
0: I'm sure you're being deliberately provocative, um, Will, but I can't help thinking of Solomon, who I preached on on Sunday, because there's two Solomons. There's the Solomon of wisdom that we all know and love and remember, and we tell that story about the women and, and the two women and the baby, etc. cetera, and um, about Solomon asked for wisdom and not for riches. And then there's Solomon number two that the lectionary thoughtfully expunges from our reading, where he knocks off in quick succession high priests and commanders and his older brother and a relative left of Saul's and anyone who could conceivably have a claim on his throne, gone. This 20-year-old young man ruthlessly eliminates the lot. Um, And I can't help feeling that that is not the way forward. What if the way forward really was what Janeway thought they could try and do to actually try and negotiate some sort of treaty between them and achieve a peace? I mean, Chakotay talks about even if it's just for a short time, people may get a taste for peace. And that in itself may start to change the dynamics of that quadrant. I mean, I felt that the trade could have given that a go. I know he was trying to eliminate everyone, but they weren't even willing to try.
2: Have I slipped into a parallel universe? Um, Maybe Elizabeth is now actually suggesting that they should be sticking their nose in where it doesn't belong and organising a (laughs) stability and a a sense of peace and, and, uh, and, and, and freedom in a they just got to put, the, put their accelerator on and get out. You know, they're, they're not here to actually fix the problems between the Kazon and the trade. They're here to get home.
0: I would agree with you if the Kazon didn't keep attacking them. So because the Kazon keep attacking them, I think it's got to a point they're not going to just get away from them. They've got to find a way of dealing with them.
1: And just coming back to the um trabe and their colonialism for a, a second, I think one of the notes that I took is that when the fellows talking about the way that the Kazon were treated, um, and and so forth, that there's an indication of remorse. Now, perhaps it's put on as we discover later, but even if it was genuine, there's an indication of remorse, but there's no sense of real justice making, of no. of reparation or bringing back. Uh, you know into a, an appropriate state uh the K's on it, it's purely oh, i'm sorry that that happened to them but hey you know i was a child i can't be blamed let's get on with it
2: but what would it um, look like I think that's Lindsay, what's missing how would the tribe do that um, they, they they don't have the power to do that they're, they're now um, uh, 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 the weakest tribe um they they no longer have the infrastructure or the capacity to, to, to make reparations or or any anyway. Like I, I'm i not sure how the trade actually orchestrate what you're talking about.
0: Well, well we they could try with Voyager. Go exactly,
1: exactly what I was going to say, exactly as Elizabeth said, they, they could have given this opportunity, uh, you know, a chance.
0: And it may not be reparation in terms of monetary stuff or anything like that. But it may be even we've found that apologies can have great symbolism. We have found that in our own society. Even a formal apology to say, look, we really screwed this up and we've got no money to give you to actually make up for this. But let's work together and we'll help you build cities or we'll help you grow stuff or we'll help you trade or whatever it is they can do. There must There's always things you can do in kind to Show your goodwill and to show that you're willing to make amends for the past, I think. And with Voyager, they become more of a force and they've got more negotiating power. But he wasn't even willing to try that, he was just hell bent on blowing Kazon marges into whatever their next world is.
2: I, I did, uh, I'll settle down now. Um, but I did, <laughs> I did love that, um, that moment where you know they they said. Right. Someone has accessed the the, the plans, um, so someone is going to try to leave early. And yes. at one stage, Marge Kala gets up and is making a speech, and then he looks like he's going to leave. And so everybody goes for their – like everybody tenses up, um, but he just goes and gets a drink and then comes back. And and yes. so, so we're being guided by the writing to assume that the traitor in the midst is actually one of the Kazon, because that's believable. Um, we, we, we've, we have the same, at least just for a moment, I think the same mistrust of the Kazon that has motivated the Trabe to actually take the actions they've had. I, I'm certainly not wanting to say, look, I think the Trabe did the right thing, but I'm, I guess I'm wanting to say where in this kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, lesser of two evils situation, that the trabe, Trabe's decision is understandable in their desperation
1: as mm. is the Kazon's decision absolutely in, in, in yep. their sense of you know um, hurt and, and whatever. But I mean, just just to broaden it out, I mean the thing that uh, that I really found myself struggling with this was uh, the generational impact of uh, prejudice and oppression and colonialism. And it, it does leave you with that question, can you ever? Uh, forge reconciliation. When And you mentioned earlier the, the Middle East, uh, Elizabeth, and, and you look at that and you think, you know, generation after generation is formed by the antipathy with the other um, and, and you wonder how can you ever fight your way out of that, that circle of uh, revenge and counter-revenge.
0: It's really hard to do that, I think, and I think that, you know, we know that intergenerational trauma is a real thing. And that trauma of whether it's colonisation or being uprooted from your land or being punished in ghettos or whatever it is, um, that intergenerational trauma is real and it does pass down from generation to generation. And it takes a real concerted effort to actually try and interrupt that and replace it with a different narrative and replace it with a different way of thinking and way of being. I mean, individual people do manage to do it. And and in the Middle East, for instance, you have Palestinians working with Israelis and Israelis working for Palestinians. Unfortunately, they're not in charge, and they may not be the majority. But um, finding ways to interrupt that intergenerational trauma, and that would come from sincere apology, real getting alongside, real working together, real listening and trying to understand why that trauma is there. And how it could be addressed through sincere and and real means, I think, would be the answer. But it's just easier to keep on hating.
1: I mean, it's interesting if we look at, at um, the the scriptures that we have, you know, uh, regularly through the Old Testament and elsewhere. Um, this reference to you know the sins of the the fathers being visited upon the children, and and that that generational thing does happen. Not in a sense yep. that somehow the children are guilty. Uh, for their parents sins but that they live with the consequences um and and often as we see the part of the consequences are are uh, engendering the same hatred and antipathy and 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 so forth in the next generation but i i think one of the one of the really beautiful things in scripture is the idea that god's graciousness actually extends to the thousandth generation. And so, you know, perhaps as as Christians, as followers of, of, of Jesus, we're asking the question, how do we be agents of a graciousness and a love that might extend to a thousand generations, not just from uh, the, the parents to the children?
2: Well, I, th- I think um, moving on from there, I think it's actually uh, important for us to recognise too. Um, I, I love the part in it where um, uh, Tuvok is actually uh, talking to Janeway. Janeway's stuck. She can't continue to have the conversation with Chakotay because he's clearly got his own agenda and is, is being swayed by the by the marquee position. Um, so she goes to, to talk to Tuvok um, just as a sounding board and he tells her the story of Spock. Um, and his um, work with the treaty with the Klingons, and 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 I guess in many ways the Klingons have all of the aggression and tri- tribalism um, of of the Kazon, um, and and strategy as well. Like and so they're a far more dangerous adversary. And and um, and Spock actually in that in that scene in the undiscovered country goes to. Um, Kirk, his captain, and says, this is the way forward. This is what we must do if we're to have stability and peace in our part of the galaxy.
4: We volunteered. There's an old Vulcan proverb.
0: Only Nixon could go to China. How could you vouch for me?
2: That's arrogant presumption. My father requested that I open negotiations. I know your father's the Vulcan ambassador, for heaven's sake. But you know how I
1: feel about it. They're animals, Jim. There is an historic opportunity here.
2: Don't believe them. Don't trust them.
4: They are dying. Let them
2: die. And, and I remember those lie, those words from Kirk saying um, that, that they killed my son. I'll never forgive them for the death of my son. Uh, and Kirk is actually I- incapable of actually trusting the Klingons because of the harm and the hurt that's actually come his way. Uh, and and so we've got this 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 council of, of of Tuvok saying even though we might be afraid and hurt, we actually um need to see if we can find a way to give this a go.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's a good story and it's also a good story he tells of his flower. How yes. that the two two things coming together make something stronger. And I still think it's a great pity that the trade just sabotaged the possibilities here. Because we've seen the Kazon aren't completely unreasonable. They're mostly unreasonable. But if you come up with a good plan or a good story or something that, you know, can help them feed their own narrative, they will listen. And there's, the, there's what they call the weaker tribes who seem to be more willing to think about what they could do to actually establish something better for themselves. Because they seem to be living on their planets a fairly basic and brutal life. I don't think we're dealing with a wealthy race here. You know, their main objective seems to be that as anyone comes near them that could potentially hurt them is to shoot them into small and tiny pieces. That just seems to be how they run and and to even achieve something with a couple of lesser of the Kazon tribes to show there could be something stability that would lead to growth in other areas like a better quality of life, and, and not spending all your money on weaponry, etc. It's such a missed opportunity, I think.
1: And, and I think it's a great pointer to, to the the, um, the realistic fact that, in uh, you know, Janeway says to Tuvok, "But how could I possibly trust them?" And it's the question of how do you build trust with those who, in your eyes, are untrustworthy or unknown. Um, and, and I think it, it, it is always that little baby steps, you know, and, and um, the idea uh, that we've already referred to that perhaps a, a small piece can bring about an appetite for a larger piece, perhaps a small amount of, of, of trust or at least of tolerance can bring about a, a larger possibility of trust uh, leading to a peaceful outcome and and that that's the reality of of life is that you know we don't just suddenly change, we have to make these tiny steps where someone takes a little bit of a risk um and and if that is uh, returned, you know then you can take a bigger step and and both can take steps, et cetera,
0: yeah, and I think that's a real challenge and There's always a risk involved with that kind of challenge. I mean, one of the questions that are asked at the end of, Jane herself might have asked it, but I wrote it down and I didn't write the character, was do people have the capacity to change? And it's a good question. But unless you actually take a few steps into a miry, unknown land, we'll never find out.
1: Yeah, and she says an interesting thing right after she talks about uh, people's capacity to change. She says that, you know, in the Federation, uh, we, we choose to deal in openness and trust. Uh, with people until proven otherwise. And it reminded me of that, um, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 passage where it, it talks about uh, believe all things, hope all things. And, of course, this is not, a, a as you'd know, a, a mushy passage about, you know, getting married or something. It's actually about two conflicting sides, you know, who, who aren't getting on. And and part of the um uh, the formula for ha- how you actually do work together is that you have to have that openness to, to trust and to believe uh the best in, in the other side.
2: But even in that early church, with such great writing and great advice being given from great leaders, we still have this situation between Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, who's actually let Paul down on his on his journey and Paul says never again will this young person be trusted to actually take on a position of of uh, of importance or significance in any of our journeys and Barnabas is actually saying to Paul well, hold on a second you need to actually give him another go and i i see this playing out in our churches today so often that that um when i'm talking to especially older people in congregations who'll actually say, Oh no, we, we, we've tried this before or we had a young person try this before and, and uh their naivety let them down or they, their enthusiasm got them into trouble and so we won't we won't ever trust in that way again. So I mean that dynamic is at play a lot closer to home than we, we would like to admit sometimes.
1: And, and I quite like uh, the idea, whether it's in fact accurate or not, that, you know, that, that same uh, John Mark becomes the author of one of our gospels. So, in fact, you know, uh, there, there is that sense that the young, untrusted person, uh, you know, might have a, a really significant role to play.
0: Might being the operated word. Yeah, really yeah, colored. I know. <laughs> he might have written it. He probably didn't. I'm but just going to say that for historical um, necessity.
2: I think there's <laughs> got to be space for playfulness as well, and 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 I guess fanfic in the biblical narrative. I I love the idea that the uh, the young man who runs off without his cloak from the Garden of Gethsemane might have been the author Mark himself, um, in that situation. Um.
0: I'm probably willing to give that one more credence, actually, than the John Mark theory, <laughs> simply because why would you write that scene in unless it had something personal to say to you? It
2: was John um, Cleese. He added that bit in. Um.
0: <laughs> so I'm thinking that's quite um, quite possible. Uh, the other thing in relating to the church that I loved, and it was a quote right at the beginning from Janeway, where she said, um, this is a hierarchy. I can't run this ship on consensus. And I thought um, that's got to be something that speaks to the Uniting Church.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's part of that, uh, you know, even when she goes to Tuvok, uh, and, and comes into his room, that, that he's quite taken aback, you know, that, that sense that here is someone that we see as her most trusted advisor, the person she's leaned on, and, and yet this has been purely in a leadership capacity, you know, such that he can remember that the times Uh, she's been in his cabin. This is not a a comradeship. It's purely uh, a a leader and a trusted advisor. And and yeah, I I, I mean, it's interesting. Can you work on consensus? Or do we want to say no, the church is in a terrible battle and we should all be, you know, doing things like an army and having an autocracy where uh, the generals or bishops tell us what to do? I'm not sure that that's a helpful approach either.
0: No, I agree, Lindsay. I think both have their strengths and their weaknesses. And I think the Uniting Church, I'd probably rather run with consensus than a bad bishop because you can't get rid of them, where with its consensus at least you might change the current environment if it's not conducive to what we need to do.
1: And I think the, the beauty of consensus is that it actually leads us regularly to be engaging with these issues of how do we work across councils of the church, how do we work with people who may have a slightly different agenda, um, and, and it's, it's all about forming alliances and building relationships and developing trust. Uh, our, our very system requires that in order for us to do anything.
3: And
2: the dramatic irony in this situation is that Janeway actually makes that strong statement about it not being a democracy and not running it on consensus. And then we go into the next scene where she's sitting around the table running a dis- consensus discussion <laughs> about what exactly. it is that they should be doing. So she's kind of venting this kind of, I I can't do this, and then, then does it. And I, I, I found in my own places of leadership i find that there are times where that happens as well where i need to actually be able to say this is hard this is difficult um maybe even i don't want to do this um, but then do what it is that i i i don't want to do anyway like i i think that's the mark of a great leader is when they can actually air their 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 concerns and their vulnerabilities um, and 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 take take the hard path anyway, um, and we see Janeway doing that again and again.
0: We do, and I think that's one of her strengths. Well, I believe it's one of her strengths that she does listen to others. She is willing to step out and take risks. She does consider different opinions to her own, and she takes advice. And she's not just saying like. Um, our our Kazon Marge's would probably say, "I am the big buffy bloke, and I'm in charge, and this is how it's going to be done."
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the interesting things in terms of Jane Way's leadership that is kind of uh, tested in this particular situation is is that tension between loyalty to the crew versus loyalty to some wider picture uh in, in her case of the Federation and this is one of the things which which is it is it Hogan um is is confronting um you know is this this sense of how can I trust a captain who I think and who has actually ins- fact said so openly would rather see our whole crew and ship destroyed than break the Federation's principle of, you know, allowing technology to fall into the others. And and so there's a real wrestle there. Uh, and I think the only way in which that can happen, and, and uh, Will, you may have some thoughts from a sort of a military perspective, but the only way it can actually work is if in fact the whole crew has an equal dedication to that big picture, whatever they think it is. So if they're all equally committed to the federation, then they'll follow a leader who says we'll die rather than, uh, you know, let let our technology fall into chaos on hands. But but when, especially with uh, people who are marquee and don't share those same values. She's walking a real tightrope here of of needing these people to trust that she is actually after their best interests and, and not the best interests of some, uh, you know, remote federation.
2: Well, she needs Chakotay to do it the marquee way again, so that means he's got to take him, take him out into the hallway and biff him in the face and rough him up a little bit and say, don't you speak to the captain that way. But we're seeing that Chakotay's losing heart. I, I, I'm actually... I really like the way that this episode communicates, that that Chakotay, I think in this episode, is really wondering whether or not he's made the right decision. Um, I I think he's beginning to ask himself the question, could I be a better captain? Um, and, and I think that's an interesting counterpoint to Marj Kala, who's outright saying, I'm a better captain, and he's not. Chakotay's <laughs> actually having this internal wrestle and, and actually saying, well, what 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 will it mean if I actually do need to actually take control of this ship? Um, they did another weird thing too that they often do in Voyager along these lines. Did you notice that over the shoulder of a number of conversations there was one particular crewman who was there who we'd never yeah. really seen before? Michael, Michael Jonas. Jonas.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: he's kind of just lurking in the background he's behind the confrontation between um the captain and hogan and then he's again um not far away when balana and hogan are having their conversation and throughout this episode we're actually seeing him gathering information and coming to some kind of determination of his own that we that i'm sure we'll see the the outworkings of in the next uh, few episodes
0: well, I was wondering about that because we know he contacts this um, other character on um, uh, the Kazon ship to try and talk to Seska. Yep. And we don't actually know. Oh, and we see him talk to the character, and he seem and we assume he's talked to Seska from conversations that occur with her and Color um, later. But I didn't know what happened to him. He seems to just disappear from view at that point. Yeah. we I don't know if he's detected in this sort of surreptitious communication or not. I wasn't sure about that. Did I miss something?
2: No, I think it's all kind of just sitting there in the background at the moment, um, waiting to, to, to bear whatever fruit it's going to bear later on. His name begins with J and ends with S. So we can kind of assume from the biblical narrative what kind of character he's going to be, I think. I'm not saying an Jesus absolute I'm wuss. saying he's going to be this Judas kind of character I think um it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a worry for the crew
1: just um talking about Chakotay and, and that um sense of wrestling you were talking about it it's interesting that uh, an opposite dynamic is happening uh with Balana who yes. in earlier times has been you know the one who has 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 had this shakiness about her her loyalty to the Federation or to Janeway or whatever. But in this particular one, she's the one who says, I just can't listen to it if you're going to criticise the captain. You know, she's she's very steadfast.
0: Yeah, she is. Yep. And she can articulate, I thought, quite well why she is. And you wonder, I have to wonder what this single dude, this Michael Jonas, thinks on his own he can do. What's he going to do? Rip out some transporter technology and beam it over? I mean,
1: he could do that. We've already had people trying that kind of stunt, haven't we?
0: Well, that was the case on themselves, though, with Seska behind that. He and you'd think that Carla would have learned from that, that to listen to her, but he hasn't clearly.
2: He, he's clearly working in engineering. He could bring the ship to a complete stop. Like he could, he could like drop the shields at a bad moment. He could. Yeah, that, that's true. There are so many things that he could do that would be bad. Um, but
0: he can only destroy himself if he's going to be on board and drop the shields and not transport himself on. Then he's going to be just as dead as if he was not doing that.
2: So he's got to be careful. He's got to be careful. I I, uh, I wonder. Too and and I I we know this is not the case because we we know Belana and we've just been through the last episode with her so she's had this this uh, as as um Lindsay put it last week this come to Jesus moment where she's beginning to question what she believes and how she stands but other members of the marquis may actually suggest well she's been bought off uh she's been given positions of power and responsibility the captain has has clearly um, uh, manipulated and induced her to, to side with her uh, and that now it would cost Balana power, uh, prestige and position to actually confront the captain in the same way that other members of the Marquis want to do.
0: Hmm. Well, that's possible in their thinking. I'm not sure that's what Balana would be seeing it as and it's not, not sure... Not no. As the viewer, with the great overview, of course, we're sitting there like, you know, we're up in the gods, so to speak, and we can see the whole thing unfolding and we know that Balano is not being manipulated at all. She's come to that conclusion herself.
2: But we're all caught in the programming of our own culture often. Like there's a sense in which um, the Marquis have to jump some fairly large hurdles just like the the Kazon do uh, and the trade do to actually be be more than they are like there's a call to be to 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 actually um be able to trust enough to be beyond w- w- where we're at um there's a there's certainly a leap of faith there, and Balana's taking that leap of faith um uh, because of her 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 experiences with the captain and and other experiences. But, but not everybody has actually had her journey, and so they're still stuck in this other place where they haven't, haven't made that leap yet.
0: That's true. But pragmatically, what do they actually expect to happen? What do they actually want to happen pragmatically that's different from what's going on? Yes, they're sick of being fired on, but we've just shown that there's not going to be a truce with the Kazon or anyone else in that quadrant. So, you know, what do they expect to achieve by not sticking together because a divided ship is a doomed ship, I would have said.
1: Yep. Yeah. And and I think that that's the thing is is that it's it's that wrestle about we know better. It's not necessarily that they they want to part company. It's that they want to be in control of the agenda and and there's not a sense of trust that uh, Janeway or the Federation officers um, are, are, are going to do the best thing for them in terms of uh, enabling them to return home safely. And so, you know, for the marquee, it's it's always... And, and I think it buys into the whole ends justifies the means sort of thing, that that if, if you like... The marquee are 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 always sort of projecting a very practical, we'll do whatever it takes to achieve our aim, uh, sort of approach. Whereas the federation is often portrayed as being the other end of the the spectrum. We'll stick to our principles even if it even if it you know hurts us sort of sort of a, a approach. And so that's part of the tension I think in those two groups. And I have to say that in uh, Janeway. Uh, wrestling with this at the start, um, one of the questions that came to me is this question of sacrifice. Um, And in particular, the difference between choosing to self-sacrifice to say I will give myself for the cause or for this bigger picture and the idea of sacrificing others to the cause. And I think yeah. that's, the, that's one of the issues in this kind of hierarchical situation is Janeway is not making a choice for herself. If she destroys Voyager rather than let it fall into on hands, she's also making a choice for every single yeah. uh, crewman on Voyager.
2: Do leaders yeah. have the right to inhibit the freedoms of others for a greater good? I mean, that's a huge question for our culture in Australia at the moment, isn't it? I mean, when we when we think about it, we have these protests of people saying my freedoms and liberties are being taken away from me um, because they're saying that the leader doesn't have the right to actually make this decision on their behalf. Um, and and uh, like I, 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 we see this with Moses in the desert with the Israelites as well. We'd have been better off in Egypt, in slavery, they say, they don't have a plan. They don't, they don't have an alternate course of action. I, I, I'm fairly certain they're not advocating turning around and heading back across the desert either. They're just upset and want to have a whinge. They're just, they're just feeling hard done by and don't know what to do with it. And I, I think that does happen to us as human beings quite a lot, um, especially before we've worked out what our strategy should be or could be.
0: Yeah, I think, that, I, I think that that's where the marquee are. They're in the murmuring tradition yep. and feeling hard done by and complaining because it's it just for me looking on in, in my exalted position, <laughs> it just seems to me that, I mean, they're, what they think they can do better is open to question because there seems to be so many limits. It's very limited what the options could possibly be mm. and why would they trust the Kazon any more than Janeway? I mean, the Kazon haven't really shown that they're very trustworthy. Unless they're thinking, oh, well, Seska's there, she'll look after us. Maybe there's something of that going on. But there's definitely a murmuring tradition. Whether it's justified, it's hard to say, but I think you're right, Will. It is the human condition. You know when things have changed dramatically for us, and we don't know what the way out is, and we don't have a strategy. At least we can complain.
1: Well, and one of the other things that that Will pointed to is, is that that tension uh, of you know individual freedom versus the collective. But I I think yeah. it's interesting that for us in a society like Australia, it it is very much a collective decision. Like uh, the the truth is that you know. Um, Our our premiers didn't roll tanks out on the streets, uh, you know, to enforce lockdown. Instead, in New South Wales, we have the the picture of a premier getting on uh, the TV day after day, practically pleading people to do the right thing, because we recognise that in our society, while there are some uh, parts of, of uh, our, our society which enable some level of control and police and fines and whatever, that in the end people will do the wrong thing unless they choose not to. And it's actually collective decisions to do the right thing that, that we rely upon rather than a, a very authoritarian uh, clamping down.
0: Well, I get annoyed at people who say my freedoms are being impinged on. Dudes, every day your freedoms are impinged on. Whether it's putting your seatbelt on, whether it's you crossing when the light's green instead of red, whether it's not exceeding the speed limit, whether it's not just going out and punching someone in the nose or killing someone, all of which are illegal. Your freedoms of that nature are impinged on on a daily basis. So to be asked to wear a mask or to stay home to keep, for the common good, to keep the collective healthy is no more an impingement on your freedom than any of those other things that we automatically just do or don't do, as it were. And yet to hear some of the Kazon's, I mean,
2: sorry, people here in Victoria <laughs> talk about <laughs> Dictator Dan and the, the freedoms that they've <laughs> lost and the and the, and the the fact that they won't stand for this oppression any longer um, just, just ma- makes it sound like the tanks have been rolled out. It makes it sound like... And in one of the protest marches I saw against these uh, loss of freedoms, it wasn't the police throwing flames or smoke bombs or, or or projectiles. It was it was actually the protesters who had actually were looking to
0: escalate the situation and and punch a horse. I think half the time these people just like violence. They just like getting out there and creating this great <laughs> stir and bringing attention to themselves and. And I think that there's as much of that going on as an individual psychology than there, there is about there I have genuine concerns that there's a dictator. You want to look at a dictatorship, have a look at Afghanistan at the moment yeah. and what's going on there with people's hands being cut off and people being rounded up and people being shot and all manner of atrocities that will happen, especially around women. That is what a dictatorship looks That's like, right. you numpties. So just get a reality check. And realise that if you don't want to look like New South Wales at the moment with an out-of-control virus, just sit it out for the time it takes to actually crush what you've got down there and then you can go about your business.
2: It's like when the women went to protest against the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister said, well, at least we're not shooting at them. That's that's a good thing, isn't it? I mean, Look,
0: I was so heartened by that because I was at that protest. <laughs> He and I just felt you. he didn't shoot at me and I was just so bloody grateful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think actually uh, uh, raising Afghanistan and the, the terrible things that are happening there is interesting in this context because it, it does uh, occur to me that, that, you know, the only way for the world to get out of that situation is not the imposition of Western values, but actually some kind of messy, horrible process that that honors the fact that, for whatever reason, uh, the Taliban in Afghanistan have the support of many people, and I think this is one of the things that you know we we recognise in these conflicts is that is that forces that we often see as entirely evil or inimical um, would not continue to thrive if there weren't uh, a lot of people who see something about their cause or the rightness of what they're doing. And I think, you know, that was the original uh, impetus for much of the the Taliban's popularity was that they actually did, uh, while bringing in some really terrible things to do with, uh, you know, women and, and Sharia law and whatever, they also stamped out corruption and people's fear that you know they could be shot by a warlord just as they're going about their business and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so we are absolutely in the same kind of really messy situation mm. that is not going to be um, solvable by having immovable principles that, that we adhere to uh, while the ship goes down.
0: That's probably true, Lindsay. If there's any, going to be any sense of peace or world kind of recognition of the Taliban and any sense of just practice in, in Afghanistan, I think the reality is that the Taliban will need to be negotiated with. But when you say they were supported, yes, that's true, but I'd want to point out not by many women. I would say probably half of Afghans' population do not support the Taliban. But they were supported by us.
2: Um, before originally, yes, right, we, they were. That's they were exactly fighting right. Our enemy, um, back in the day. And when I say us, I'm talking about the West broadly. Yes, but there is a sense in which, in this scenario, we are the tribe. Um, you know, we we are we are the trabe who are actually uh, w- used a kazon for our own ends. And the only reason we went into Afghanistan 20 years ago is because they hurt us, or we perceived that they hurt us. Um, that that we have alliances with people who have very similar laws, very similar systems, very similar forms of oppression, and we provide them with, with support, and we provide them with, with arms, and, and we have bases in their, in their countries. Um, so there's a sense in which we've singled out these particular people because we perceived 20 years ago that they hurt us and that we wanted to hurt them back.
0: Well, I have to say I don't approve of Saudi Arabia either, which is one of the countries you're uh, referring to, and I would guess that mostly half their population, being female, wouldn't like them either, and I wouldn't trade with the Saudis. If I was in power anywhere, I don't care if I force my population to all ride bicycles and steam trains.
2: I just watched the episode of The West Wing the other day in season yes. four, I think it is, where CJ Craig is upset yep. about the trading with the people of Kumar because of the oppression of the women of Kumar and, and, and Kumar's a made up place. But yep. but it actually is is representative of, of a number of places that the United States and Australia are actually
4: quite happy to cooperate with. Imagine say that Hitler had taken Antwerp, and we'd lost the Battle of the Bulge, and Germany held the Western Front.
3: It wouldn't have mattered. The Russians crushed them on the Eastern Front. They wouldn't have won the war.
4: No, but even if the Russians kicked them out of Poland, Hungary, Bulgaria, they could have held onto France, maybe kept Italy. Certainly, they could have defended Germany. Yeah. Now, it's six decades later, and while they didn't conquer Europe, the Nazis exist as a recognized government in some small corner of the European Union.
3: That would never have happened. Really? They killed a quarter of my unit. They killed a third of my classmates from Erasmus High School. We would never have allowed We did it in Cambodia. CJ, knock it off.
4: You're protesting because you think the Smithsonian isn't paying proper respect to what you and the soldiers of the 10th Armored Third Army risked and lost your lives for six decades ago. How would you feel in the hypothetical I just described if I told you that at my press briefing at the end of the day, I was announcing that we were selling tanks, missiles, and fighter jets to the Nazis?
2: Excuse me. Step outside.
4: Look, You know, if I was living in Kamar, I wouldn't be allowed to say, shove it up your ass, Toby. But since I'm not, shove it up your ass, Toby. The difference here, and we have to be very
2: careful that we don't become trabe in this, is that the trabe strongly believed that they had a moral authority and a right to actually do what they did. And and we do that too. We we do that all the time. Um, we are the trabe.
0: We are, but sometimes their intervention is necessary. I have to say that I'm not an out-and-out out 100% pacifist. I prefer peace. But there's also situations where I think that, you know, some sort of coercion, not necessarily force, but, you know, whether it's trade sanctions or not trading or not recognising a country, but taking stands... And it may be that you've got to go to arms to actually release people, like in the Second World War. I don't know what would have happened if we didn't have that war. I don't know the answer to that in terms of the six million people who were already exterminated and how many more would be exterminated and whether those folk would ever have been released. And I look at Saudi and I wonder the same thing. So I don't think it's clear cut. And it's not just that I've got, I think my morals are superior You know, I look at Saudi Arabia where the princess really tried to get away but she was betrayed and no one's heard of her since. That's the daughter of the king there. Mm. You know, she's probably been exterminated or living in a little dark hole and being tortured because that's what they do. I, I just find that outrageous. I find that America sending people to Egypt being tortured. We know they did it. I find that outrageous. And it's not because I'm sitting here thinking I'm morally superior. I, I, that doesn't occur to me. It's just the idea that we collude with these regimes that just do these dreadful, dreadful things. I find it really upsetting. And I would rather do without oil and find another way than collude with these people.
1: I mean, I I think you're absolutely right, uh, Elizabeth. That, but what you illustrate is exactly what Janeway said, which is that you know when you get down in the mud. Uh, you know, you, you you get muddy, and yep. and and all of these real politic solutions to different problems—whether we intervene, whether we don't, whether we ally with a a, a, um, a, a regime which does terrible things, or whether we don't—we're always having to compromise. And I think that you know one of the things that that happens in this particular story towards the start is that there's this recognition by Janeway and the crew that. The minute you make one compromise to your principles, you have to make others and one thing leads to another. And and it's so difficult to walk that line, isn't it? And I think for me, one of the things that I, I wonder about is the extent to which we frame things from our mindset. So we look at a country and we assume that the, the people there want to be, you know, brought freedom and that they're just waiting for us to intervene and, you know, bring Western values to them so that that they'll all be happy. And and I think what we've seen in Afghanistan is that the assumption that what Afghanistan really wanted was a Western form of, of democratic government was just not correct um, yeah. and and our assumptions you know drove an intervention which in the end has you know caused what uh, 20 years of misery and and things aren't any different than what they were
0: Well it's not 20 years of misery just to backtrack that a bit because that 20 years allowed women to be educated to take work to actually be free to not be have their tortured or be buried up to their neck and mm-hmm. be stoned. This is what was happening under the Taliban and at least Western occupation stopped that and it allowed women to be educated and to actually get work and we know that they liked that and they're absolutely terrified that that is all going to be taken off them. So it's mixed. It's not straightforward. Well,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Never is.
2: Well, look, it's been a fabulous opportunity to talk through quite a a, a, a lot of really difficult co- topics, and we've, I think, each of us have gotten quite muddy in the process of attempting yes. to work through <laughs> our own moral superiority during today's episode. If you um, um have strong opinions about this, um, then we want to, we want to hear them. So please um leave your comments and thoughts on um, Facebook page Never Odd or Even, um, or uh, on the OddRev com website um also if you're looking for something to fill the hole in your life that's been left by um the the deep faith 9 podcast being in recess um we've got a <laughs> another couple of series on marvel loki comes out um it came out last week uh so you've got the opportunity to catch the loki podcast which was released last friday um and you can um you can explore all of the great themes of predestination um, of of free will of power uh, of uh, of the of 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 what it means to be a victim and what it means to be an oppressor, all, all in that first episode of Loki, with a whole lot of time travel thrown in as well. So uh, there's there's lots to check out, um, and um, I uh, I guess I'm going to call for any final thoughts if there are any final burning thoughts that we wanted to get through after today's episode.
0: Um, It's not a final thought, Will, but do you mind if I give a shout-out to my son's comic book shop? Absolutely. Um, My son owns a really great comic book shop in Canberra, which, of course, is shut because of lockdown, and he's still got to pay his rent and his bills. So it's Dee's Comics, and if you would like a piece of modern pop culture or if you would like a comic or if you'd like all sorts of different books around science fiction and Um, other things that are popular culture, please check out Dee's Comics on Facebook or the website of Dee's Comics and buy yourself a comic in lockdown to read um, and support them just, um, who is a little business struggling at the moment.
2: I just wanted to echo that. I did go to the website for Dee's Comics because I saw that the other day on a, on a Facebook page um, and I will put a link up. I think it's already on Odd or even, but I'll put another one up there because one of the things that's amazing about Dee's Comics and it's, it's, it's fairly rare in the comic um, industry is that uh, they're a huge supporter of local Australian content. Um, and uh, I was having a look through and I put my order in for uh, a copy of Killer Kangaroo, the, the Australian anthropomorphised <laughs> kangaroo assassin um, and uh, I'm, I'm keen to check that out. Um, so uh, if you're interested in um, being able to dip into some real Australian graphic novel comic um, content, uh, Dee's Comics is certainly the place to go.
0: It certainly is and I proudly have a T-shirt with Killer, Killer Roo on it. <laughs> <laughs> advertising these comics. And yes, Brendan does specialise in Australiana and he supports Australian writers and Australian artists, and that's something that he's very, very uh, passionate about.
1: Lindsay, any final thoughts? No, look, I'm, I'm, I'm all argued out. You know, Elizabeth has laid me on the canvas.
0: I don't believe you. I <laughs> don't believe
2: that for a second. Well, we will be back next week for this long-awaited episode. Oh where, no! Where oh no! What is it? What is
0: it?
1: We're so excited about this episode.
2: The, all
1: 5.3 the, on IMDb.
2: All, all of the sexual tension between Paris and Janeway gets released next week as we uh, enter into an amazing uh, experience of crossing the threshold. Are week. you
0: serious?
2: So, Paris
0: uh, uh, and Janeway,
2: no! Very excited. <laughs>
1: uh, don't worry, Elizabeth,
2: it's not what you
1: think.
2: <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> so um, until yeah. next week,
0: uh, I've been Will Nicholas. I'm Lindsay Cullen, and I'm Elizabeth Rain.